This is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is up on Center Stage, the show about the arts and the artists behind their work. It is rare when we can speak about a screen legend of the golden age of Hollywood with those who represented and managed the stars. In my trilogy of interviews with Hollywood agent Bud Burton Moss, I have had the luxury of maneuvering within an industry of icons. We have reached our final chat with Bud Moss today, his life and work with the love goddess Rita Hayworth. I know that these interviews could go on for days and we would all be richer for the stories that he has to share about his profound life in Hollywood. But we have come to our finale, at least for the moment. So now I am going to welcome Bud Burton Moss back to center stage. Bud, welcome. It is such a joy to have you back. Well, I've been looking forward to uh, taking taking you and uh, your your audience to Rome with uh, Sidney Poitier and, and Rita Hayworth. Oh, let's hear about it. On our second night in Rome, Sidney had invited us to dinner while his daughters went sightseeing. These were his daughters from his first marriage. But Rita declined, telling me that she had dinner guests coming to our hotel. And being somewhat concerned, I told the manager as we were leaving to have security check every couple of hours. I took Sydney to dinner in the world-famous Piazza de Santa Maria in Trastevere. Trastevere means beyond the Tiber River. We went to my favorite restaurant called Sabatini's, which was right in the square, overlooking this historic church dating back to 1140. We had a delightful dinner watching the whole world pass us by. And as we were getting ready to leave, this elderly woman came slowly walking by our table and started to look at Sydney. And she got about 10 feet away and then turned around and came back very slowly and once again looked at Sydney. And once again, she turned around and walked over to our table and said, Do you know who you are? And Sydney, with his magnificent smile, said, Yes, madam, but do you know who you are? <laughs> Wonderful, perfect. <laughs> That is a delightful story. From there, we were picked up by two of my favorite Italian friends, and they took us over to the Hippopotamus, which is the world, Rome's most exciting discotheque. And from the minute that Sidney walked in, he was swamped with some of the most beautiful girls of Rome wanting to dance with him. After almost an hour, he said, Buddy, get me out of here. They want to take me home. <laughs> of course. I went back to the hotel and asked the assistant manager if Miss Hayworth had gone out to dinner. And after checking, he said security said she never left her room and ordered soup and eggs for dinner, which she left out in the hallway. When I went to her room, Rita was asleep. And in the morning, the maids were banging on the door, ready to help us get packed up so that we could catch the afternoon plane back to New York City, 
where Rita and her daughter Yasmin could be together again at the Carlisle Hotel. Rita's work on the film, The Bastards, was flawless, with few minor blow-ups that she had with the script and with her fellow actors. But the movie was finished, on time, and considered successful. For me, Pam, it was a dream come true. Here I was, this little 11-year-old boy seeing Blood and Sand in a cast and crew screening room. And my journey started at that time and has taken me to Rome with Rita Hayworth, where we put together this movie, The Bastards. Marvelous, bud. Marvelous stories. You know, I've just got to ask you one question. How much have you loved your life as an agent? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> I've enjoyed my, my life as an agent. Uh, uh, my family was in the film business, as you know. My dad was an editor at Fox. My uncle was the legendary Sam Zivilis, the filmmaker of Covatus and Ben-Hur. Uh, it was something that I wanted to do, and I started out as an extra, going back to when I was in my 20s, give or take. And one day, I got a call to go to MGM and work on a film called Blackboard Jungle. There on the set was a schoolroom, and there were maybe 10, 15 very rowdy students in a classroom, including a young actor by the name of Sidney Poitier. Our friendship started that day, and during the course of production, which was over a week, Sidney and I would sit and talk with other fellow actors. One was Vic Morrow, mm. another actor who became a client of the agency that I started to work with, General Artists Corporation, in the 60s, which was Sidney's agency. Mm -hmm. And the friendship then just started over those years, and I was uh, privy to watch the uh, making of a film called Lilies of the Field. One of our agents, Jerry Steiner, found this book dealing with a traveling journeyman who meets a bunch of nuns, I think German nuns, in a little church who wanted to build a bigger church. And that film became an Oscar-winning film, and it gave Sidney the first black American actor to receive an Oscar for Lily of the Fields. From there, getting into the 70s, I became engaged to a young Carol and Gary. And Sidney's fiance, Joanna Shimkus, said, why don't you guys get married? You've been going together for such a long time. And I had been working with the legendary Melvin Belli, one of the great legal minds in our country, and he invited us to come to San Francisco and get married at his home. Sidney and Joanna stood up for us. Melvin Belli gave us away, and it was uh, September 27th, 1970, that we got married. What a and time. lived happily ever after. <laughs> and you have. And again, you have a story that comes full circle, not only with Rita Hayworth, but with you and your friend, Sidney Poitier. How marvelous, Bud Moss. Thank you so much for sharing.
Bud Moss and Rita Hayworth have been inextricably linked in their lives, and I am moved by his caring involvement with her during the last two decades of her life. For a woman who had conquered Hollywood and the enduring visual image of a great beauty, the complications of her life battling an undiagnosed Alzheimer's condition were difficult. Bud Burton Moss was a friend and confidant who helped to continually smooth over the rough patches in her work and public appearances during those last years of her career. He treated Rita Hayworth as the goddess that she was and protected her integrity with grace while under fire. In the earlier episodes of this trilogy of interviews, Bud and I spoke about the satisfying trip with Rita to Madrid, Spain, where she appeared in the movie E. Bastiardi, directed by Duccio Tassari. Bud had lived in Madrid for almost two years while married to actress Ruth Roman, and it was a city he knew well. He was thrilled to entertain Rita in some of his favorite spots in the city, and the work she achieved was recognized as excellent with the happiest of memories. The recollections about his trip with Rita Hayworth and her secretary and traveling companion Judy Alt to Buenos Aires almost nine years later were dramatically different. The complications of her fatigue and confusion would prove to be one of the most difficult in his time spent with Miss Hayworth. The trip ended with Rita's dramatic destruction of the beautiful flower arrangements that had been sent to her hotel room. And with numerous bombs going off in front of their hotel and around the city, Bud was all too happy to move on from Buenos Aires to their next stop in Rio de Janeiro. There, Rita would be reunited with her former lover, Jorge Ginley, and everyone would be able to rest and enjoy the sands of Ipanema Beach. Even then, Bud knew that there was something taking place within the great Rita Hayworth that no one could stop. And as he recounts in his book, Hollywood, Sometimes the Reality is Better Than the Dream, he says, Deep down in my heart of hearts, I had the feeling that sadly this could be the end of our adventures together. Now here is Bud Moss speaking about his trip with Rita to Rio de Janeiro in 1976. Pamela, the next morning, we packed up and headed for the airport at Rio de Janeiro to be with uh, Jorge Ginley, who turned out to be, I think I mentioned, one of her old lovers many years before. Mm -hmm. And he was one of the wealthiest men in Brazil, who owned the Copacabana Beach Hotel. He had arranged that evening, one of the most beautiful evenings I had ever spent, at this luxurious hotel. Dinner was built around the swimming pool with candles everywhere you go. Mm, and uh, it just started with uh, so many different appetizers and then they worked into the course of dinner and it ended up with lobster and fish and uh, pieces of, uh, of, of the great Brazilian steaks mm. and after dinner we decided we better get Rita to bed so Jorge took us upstairs and as we were walking to our suite with Jorge Rita stopped and all of a sudden she yelled at Jorge, and she said, Jorge, you're wrong. 
I'm not going to sleep with you tonight. And he was stunned. This poor guy was stunned. He did nothing. And he had no idea what was happening in that beautiful mind of Rita's to to say that. Mm -hmm. But he seemed very hurt and very confused. The next morning, he had arranged for the three of us to go up to Sugarloaf and to see the view of uh, Rio at that time. And at the last minute, Rita said, I'd rather stay in my suite and maybe have lunch with you, Jorge, rather than going up to Sugarloaf. So off Judy and I went, and having never been to this remarkable country and having seen Christ on top of this statue, the tallest statue, one of the tallest statues in the world, with his arms spread out mm -hmm. to the people in, in, in Rio, de, Rio de Janeiro, it was just breathtaking. But Judy and I started to worry about what Rita's doing, and we just said to our guide, we've got to get back to the hotel as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. We got back to the hotel and went racing up to the suite, and it was empty. And we asked the assistant manager who came up with us, he said nobody in the hotel saw her leave. Well, I was stunned. I just could not believe two days before we were ready to go home that we were having this problem. And Jorge was nowhere to be found. Apparently he had gone to some business meeting. So the manager said to me, I'm gonna call the police. And I said, no, please don't. I said, because it would cause an international scandal mm -hmm. if all of a sudden this broke in the, in the news. I said, get me 20 of your best security and waiters and wait downstairs and we will have to start looking around the neighborhood and onto the beach to try and find Rita. Apparently, she had stayed in her caftan outfit, this beautiful brown, gold, yellowish type famous caftan that she loved wearing. So the minute we got on the beach, every hundred yards possibly, maybe less, there were lifeguard stations. Mm -hmm. And I would go over with security and they would ask the lifeguard and they would shake their head no. They hadn't seen anybody. The walk from the Copacabana Hotel over to Ipanema Beach had to be at least two miles, maybe less. I'm not quite sure of that distance. But we walked it in the heat and uh, uh, the the, the crowds trying to figure out what we were trying to do. And finally, when we got to Ip Ipanema Beach, this one lifeguard said, you know, I think I saw this woman a couple of hours ago down the beach where all those little kids are. Well, as we started walking, I said to Judy, good God, I hope we can find her. I said, because if I had anything happened to Rita if she was kidnapped and being held for a $5 million ransom, what would happen if they killed her? Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I, I'm fantasy. I couldn't believe what it was going through my mind. Mm -hmm. And I said, how could this 11-year-old boy all these years later have this happen to his idol? Of course. Of course, bud. 
and all of a sudden, as we got closer, we saw all these kites up in the air, and there must have been 20 kids all under 15 years old, and in the middle of all these kids was Rita flying her kite and having the best time of her life there on Nima Beach with all these kids, and she was singing and laughing and flying her kite and having the best time. And when we grabbed her, she couldn't understand why we were so upset. Oh my gosh! That we were having that she was having the best time of her life. Oh, bad. Well, we finally got Orke there, the special police, and took him back to the hotel and had a very quiet dinner that night. And Rita was extremely calm and sedated, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And we knew that that ended our trip, and we were going to be back in New York with Princess Yasmin uh, that next night. Mm-hmm. Receiving her. That, my dear friend, were the journeys that I I have to remember. I finally ad- ad- admitted that these were memories that I kept forever. And finally, in 1980, after two years of taking Rita and putting her into retirement so all the world knew that she was no longer working, that's when Rita started to go doctor to doctor with Yasmin. And it wasn't until 1980 that the world realized what the word Alzheimer's meant. Mm-hmm. And for the remaining seven years of her life, Yasmin rebuilt a miniature hospital within her suite at her home or her apartment on Park Avenue. And for Yasmin to watch her mother slowly decay, I hate to use that word. I know. With Alzheimer's, that she was like in a coma for all these years. And finally, in 1987, she died. And Yasmin called me and said, Bud, we're bringing Mom home. And I know that she would want you to be one of the pallbearers at the funeral. And I will call you when I get to the, uh, to the hotel. You must have been so touched to have been asked by Yasmin to be a pallbearer for Rita Hayworth. I, I, I was moved. I mean, there I was with some of the heads of Hollywood, Ricardo Montalban, Tony Franciosa, Cesar Romero, the famous Sidney Gilleroff from MGM, the makeup man. And I stood there next to Glenn Ford. And I don't know whether or not that picture one day you'll be able to show to your listeners. But there I stood next to Glenn Ford, who was in tears. And he kept saying to me, Bud, I've lost my best friend. Mm. And Glenn Ford and um, Rita Hayworth had such a close relationship. Five films, of course, Gilda. Um, And then he had a house built right next to her. He took the house next to her, didn't he? There were gates in the backyard touched, (laughs) and you could literally go out of one gate to another. It was a never-ending love affair between the two of them. They had their own lives. One... One sad thing about a statement that Rita had made many years before, she said, 
all the men who loved Gilda would want to go to bed with her at night. And sadly, they'd wake up in the morning with me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The fragile and vulnerable Rita Hayworth. Yeah. But, but yet, Bud, there was such a strength within her, too, wasn't there? I mean, yes, most definitely. she survived. She validated herself by men, but yet she survived. Bud, I need to ask you a personal question, if you don't mind. Please. You knew her so well. You went through through so much with her towards the end. Is there anything that stands out in your remembrance about Rita Hayworth that you recognize that perhaps is never remembered by the public? That's a good question. And I think the only way that I can, I can re- think about it and to tell you that when she was all together, when Rita was this little Rita Consino. She was the most remarkable, dearest lady that I that I that I that I ever that I ever knew. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it just broke my heart knowing that if I was going to be with her from nineteen sixty seven when we did the bastards mm-hmm. that my relationship would then be a permanent one that I was there hopefully to be her protector when uh, when Yasmin was not there to, to be there. Of course, of course. And all I can say is that you must have been one hell of an agent and manager to have been able to have handled all of these dramas, always in other countries it seems, yeah? I mean, yeah. that that takes some doing and you constantly had to be on um, really, to be able to observe and see what was going on and, and foresee disaster. But I will make this comment, Bud Moss. I think that when she was playing with the children on the on Ipanema Beach with the kites, I think you saw the early Rita again. I think she was yep. free again. Yep. A most beautiful thing. Oh, Bud Moss. Very well stated. Very well put. You, well, and listen, you are the incredible purveyor of Hollywood riches and glamour. You you bring to every interview something so special that we we cherish. And I just have to remind my listeners that Bud has written two books. The first is called, and I only got 10%. I love that. And the second is Hollywood. The reality is better than the dream. You know, his book is, uh, his book, the, the second book, Hollywood, The Reality is Better Than the Dream, is filled with so many stories of Bud Moss's life as agent, manager, his close friendship with Jack Valenti, and many other candid moments in the life of a man who has literally breathed an existence in a life that we mere mortals dream about. And you know, Bud, through you, we are living that dream. And the remembrances of Rita Hayworth are so special to me now. I I grew up with her. I, I adored her as a child, watching her films. That beautiful face, the way she could move, uh, the way the camera caught her. It was truly extraordinary for her time. I want to th- I think you uh, have said uh, some marvelous things, and I... I admire you and I appreciate everything that you you do within our profession. Thank you so very thank much. You, thank you for this opportunity <laughs> and I hope that uh, your listeners will feel the same way that I do, that we have a very warm 
productive, nice interview that uh, we can play around the world in the years to come. I hope so, too. And are we still going for that Pulitzer Prize or the Peabody Award for our interviews, do you think, Bud? Well, I'm not sure. Someone mentioned this morning as I was coming to the office, did you think about the Nobel Peace Prize? (laughs) You know what? I think we should leave that for Princess Yasmin, for her tireless work for Alzheimer's research and the gala that she puts on every year in the memory of her mother, you know? I think she she's going for the Nobel Prize. Well, you'll have an opportunity, by the way, and we've discussed this, that uh, I co-produced for a German production company last year a one-hour documentary on Rita Hayworth that's being aired both in France and in Germany on the 14th of this month uh, on a channel called Arte, which is kind of like our hallmark mm-hmm. channel here. Mm-hmm. And hopefully we'll be able to show this documentary to our American audience and our international audience before the end of uh, this year. I hope so, too. So kind of keep an eye out for it. Oh, believe me, we will stay in touch about this. And if I get any calls about the Pulitzer, you'll be the first to know. Okay? I promise. Thank you. Thank you, Pamela. Thank you. Oh, Bud, I have to thank you for sharing your stories and your passions. You know, you're so candid about everything. And, and you know, you realize in a couple of weeks that you and I will start missing each other. And then we're going to have to start, you know, the new project. Are you in? Yes, I'm in. <laughs> I know it's coming. I know it's coming. As I'm, as I'm approaching my senior years, <laughs> slowly, count me in. You're only 39, Bud Burton Moss. I know that for a fact. Thank um, you, Pamela. Listen, I have to thank you for giving your time so graciously. Um, To all my listeners, please research Bud Burton Moss, his books. We all have to stay aware and looking for this new film coming out about Rita Hayworth. And I hope you will visit my website at centerstagewithpamelacoon.com for more information on my talk show. Of course, this interview and the interview that has preceded it will be up on my website as well as at WGCH. And in the meantime, I just want to thank you, Bud Burton Moss, again for being with us. And um, stay safe, and I hope you're working on that third book because you have much to say. It's halfway through. It's going to be called Act Three. And it, I'm using the documentary as kind of like the opening of the door to this book that I've written. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. I can't wait, Bud. I can't wait. All right, Bud Burton Moss, thank you again. And in the meantime, to all my listeners, stay safe out there in the final days of our COVID, I hope. This is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is now down on Center Stage. Put the blame on Maine, boys. Put the blame on Maine. Maine gave a chump such an ice cold no. For seven days they shovel snow. So you can put the blame on Maine, boys.